Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Kyle McLaughlin's having a moment. Critics and fans are heaping on the praise for his agent Dale Cooper in Twin Peaks. 26 years after his star turn as Dale Cooper in Twin Peaks. It is happening again. McLaughlin has had a wonderfully unconventional career. His first job was in David Lynch's ill-fated Dune, a movie I love but that was pilloried when it came out. His second job was starring in Lynch's dark masterpiece Blue Velvet. Then, in his own words, he tried out for Hollywood's big romantic leads and it never quite worked, despite his talent and good looks. But his collaboration with Lynch turned into one of the great actor-director partnerships. McLaughlin just seems to fit in Lynch's uncanny worlds. Do you remember everything? You would never have predicted it from what he watched as a kid. We were actually restricted to Disney movies. Why do you think that is? Our our parents were very... Conservative? uh, Conservative. Tremendously conservative, yeah. Some interviews you did talk about, you know, throwing footballs and playing golf and flying kites Mm. with your brothers. But was there any predisposition toward the kind of vibe that you would then enter into this world with Lynch? (laughs) Meaning, were you like a sci-fi fan? I was a sci-fi fan. I was, Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was a huge Dune fan. Found that book when I was in junior high school. So odd that I ended up being cast in the role of Paul. The prince. Yeah, it didn't seem to, it made no sense to me. I said, this is just completely surreal. And that started the relationship with David Lynch. How did Lynch find you? I was found by a casting agent, a junior casting agent in Seattle. I was working up there at a theater. I'd finished, uh, I'd graduated within the last year, I guess, and was working in a theater doing Tartuffe. We were doing an adaptation of Tartuffe. I was on my way to New York to go do, seek my fortune, basically. And call came through. Hey, there are And that casting agent in, 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 in Seattle... Had a, obviously a pipeline to Lynch's she people was in actually LA. had been sent out on the you know what they the used circuit. to do the crazy circuit yeah so she was Elizabeth Lustig was her name she's part of the casting company and she came through and she met a number of people that day and I read in a hotel room you know the Olympic Four Seasons Hotel downtown Seattle and she put me on tape I, you know that new experience and uh, took it down and showed it to David Lynch and Rafael Adirantes and they said oh yeah okay bring him down we'd like to meet him and you met him and I met him and what was that like it was really like meeting a pal. It was like we sat in an office at Universal in one of the tiny bungalows way in the back. I have no idea where it was. And we just talked about anything, but we didn't talk about Dune. We just talked about, because he was from the Northwest and I was from the Northwest. And so we talked about growing up there and what it was like in the summertime and what you did. And we talked a little bit about red wine because it was like red wine. And we just chatted. And uh, and then he said, he said at the end, I said, okay, here's the script. Take he it. does have yeah, a bit of a twangy He's got voice, a twangy voice. And learn this, learn these scenes, Kale. He didn't call me Kale yet. Learn these scenes, and then come back in a few days and we'll shoot them. You do a very good Lynch. <laughs> but, but we don't expect that of you, obviously. But then, then Many he, years of practice. So then you come in, how long did it take you to shoot your part in Dune? You play the lead in the film. Yeah, in the film. And, so and, it was seven months. We were in Mexico City for seven months, oh. which felt totally normal to me. I was like, this is the first experience. This is my like, first movie. I'm going to go with David Lynch to Mexico for yeah. seven months. <laughs> That's what, what you, you did. shot for seven months. We shot for seven months. That's why it was $40 million back then? Well, I don't know if it was $40 million. That's, That's what, what I said. read in the paper. I know. Well, and you believe everything you read in the paper. Anyway, we, he, David was there for a year and a half. They were there for a year and a half filming because they had second unit, third unit. They had all the special effects. They did everything down there. And um, he was, I think he was tortured. When you start but, shooting the movie, who was the DP? Do you remember? Freddie Francis. 
to Whitney Francis. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I had no idea. And he was using kind of a light box thing. It was a whole crazy thing. And they were smoking up all this. I, I had... I go work on stage. You know, this is this is weird. I didn't have to do my own makeup, which was fantastic. Um, you know, they have people for that. Right, right, you right. know, it's all this new stuff. They put you in these crazy costumes. Bob Ringwood was uh, was the costume designer. Bob Ringwood. Yeah, I did the shadow with Bob Ringwood. Oh, the great Bob Ringwood. Yeah. I loved him. We called him Rinky Bobwood. Well, actually, David called him Rinky Bobwood. I didn't. I didn't call him Rinky Bobwood. Get a great get a great group of people. Yeah, we had it was a big movie. A huge movie. Tony Masters was the design production designer. I mean, we just we had an extraordinary talented group of people. So when you get down there, it's your first movie. Yeah. For me, the first time I'm on camera, as I'm, uh, we joke and say that the soap opera that I first did here in New York, we called it Off Off Television. I mean, nobody was watching the show and it was canceled. <laughs> uh, right when my contract was over two years later, we did the show The Doctors on NBC. Right. And you get to work out of the white hot spotlight. Yeah. And your first movie is a big movie. Yeah. Did you feel... Pressure or you no, didn't even enter no, your mind. Yeah, I was just so naive. I'm here just, to act. I'm here to act. And you know the kind of the funny thing about training, and maybe you remember this coming out of school, you really feel like you can do anything. They instill in you this sort of sense, and it's also being 22, 23 years old. You really you were confident. Yeah, I mean you're, you're confident to the point of like you can't even consider anything else. This is what you do. Um, so we did it. You know, and uh, we made the movie. And the deal that I had in in place, which was difficult contractually, was that I could not appear in any other film or television could not even begin work on film or television until Dune was released, which was not to kiss Nine him death, later. but yeah, but it, that's, that's is why they did it. In the editing yeah. so, uh, they were, and So I had nothing else to work on, nothing else to back it up with, nothing else to go. And of course, Dune came out, it was not... Who was your agent that made that deal? Well, it was unfortunately, it was just part of the, the negotiations with the De La Rentes company. They were really, really tough. Um, I also had five non five Dune pictures and three non Dune options. The contract was this. I mean, yeah, they it, got you. Oh my God! It was two two inches thick. Yeah. And you, you uh, were in the Mercury. Uh, you were in the Orson Welles Mercury Theater of I the was, Air Company. I was. <laughs> you're going to do like twenty years. You're Joseph I, Cotton I could in a wheelchair. still be doing Dune. You now, wouldn't happen to have a good cigar on you, would you? It's. Uh, it was one of those. But what can I do? You know. I mean, I'm. I was working for um, um, Equity. You know, ninety nine seat waiver, one hundred eighty five dollars a week to this. When you go out seven months later, what's changed? I had friends now. I had an agent, which was great. Um, but I, I hadn't spent any time in Los Angeles, really. I'd literally gone from Seattle, shoop, down to Mexico City. Um, and then I went back to Seattle because I couldn't do film or television, so why go to Los Angeles? So I just kind of skipped it. And went home. Went home, and I did a play there again, and I went to New York a little bit and hung out with some friends and just kind of idled my time until the movie finally came out. And the expectations were so high and completely just shattered. And I was ready to go to work. How did you feel about that? I was was kind of disappointed, but I was also like, well, you know, we did it once, we'll do it again. I had this kind of crazy optimism, like, okay, away we go. (laughs) You're the opposite of me. (laughs) I'll never work. I'll do a movie that makes $200 million. (laughs) And they're going, God, so bad. It's over. <laughs> I think it had a lot to do with just the naivete of youth and just feeling like, oh, it's okay. Well, you know, I got an agent. We're going to go and we're going to make it happen. So I literally packed up my car. I was in Seattle at the time and drove down to Los Angeles, found a place to stay and started. What happens between you and Lynch on the set of the movie that you become his De Niro? You know what I mean? You're his male yeah. protagonist. I don't. Again and again and again. Why? I don't. I wish I had an answer. I don't really know. You I never mean, discussed we, it. We get along great. I mean, there's been various theories, you know, <laughs> like I'm the guy that can take you through the world. He handed me the script of Blue Velvet while 
while we were filming Dune and said, this is what I'd like to do next and take a look at the role of Jeffrey and, you know, he gave it to me. And I said, okay, I took a look at it, read the script. This is my second film script that I ever read. <laughs> the first <laughs> one was crazy. Dune. The second is Blue yeah. Velvet. Yeah. And I read it and, I, and it was very powerful. Sure. I mean, oh my God. You know, like highly charged. Yeah. Uh, and, and a journey, to be honest, that I, that I could recognize, could yeah. understand. It's a crack pipe. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, you're a little you jacked know. watching that movie. Yeah, it's a crazy yeah, movie. No, it is a crazy movie. And, and you said that you took the script and wanted your parents' approval of the script before you do it. I did. So I got it. I and said, they didn't hey, approve. Take, take a look at this. And my dad read it, and he was like, oh, okay. My mom read it, didn't say anything. Yeah. You know, oh, I like it. And, and and she had been already diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Right. It was in the middle of that battle. And I said, well, screw it. That's it. We don't have to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. If it's going to upset her, I don't want to put her in that position. I don't want that kind of pressure, nothing like that. We're not going to do it. We'll find something else. And I called David. And I said, David, I can't. I can't do it. I, you know, and I tried to explain to him a little bit. And he understood. He, to his credit, he says, Gail, I understand. So there was a, you know, a few months that he did was Did he try to be cast? So I think he did. But at the same time, I was like, you know, listen, the offers were not pouring in, <laughs> to be honest. And I just couldn't shake the script. And so I, I he came, kind of came back again, and I kind of and I kind of went to him as well. And I said, David, I really would, I think I really need to do this. And I said what that to my mom. mom. I just said to her, I said, Mom, I think it's going to be— I got to do what I got to do. I got to do what I got to do, and I think it's going to be okay, and I don't want you to worry. Did she lose her battle with it? She did, yeah. Then, she around did, that time? In 86, yeah. I, I, How old I, she? I joke, you know, it's dark humor, but I say she didn't live long enough to see it, which is probably a good idea. She was 51. But your dad survived. Is he still alive? My dad passed a few, about five years ago now. Are you still close with him at all? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We what did he think close. of your career? He was, he was well, he's a critic. Turns out. <laughs> yeah, it turns out. I didn't know that. This is my dad. Dad. I said, you know. Um, but he, he, one of those dads that's really, really proud when he's with his friends and around and with me, proud too, but also when it's, you know, said, oh, that one wasn't one of your best. You know, he would say like that, you know. But, he, but, but I knew it came from a place of him wanting me to be my best, you know what I mean? And he just could not not tell a lie. That was my dad. Couldn't tell a lie. My, my dad, he had only one note for me in all my... Now, he passed away in 1983, and I just was starting out on TV and right. soap operas and going to do pilots. And my dad said to me, completely unrelated to my work at all, he said, you know what you need to do? You need to develop a walk. <laughs> like, John Wayne has a walk. I mean, he has like a walk. You need to come up with a walk. Right, right. If they have a thing you do where everybody, it's like a signature. I'm like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's great. I'm going to go back to Strasbourg and yeah, take yeah. some classes. I'm I'll teach a class. On Don't you love it, though? Movie because, walks. Because now, you know, we're all over at the time, you're like, ah. You know, now you're like, he's just doing the best he can to help. He's like, yeah. this is what he knew. And he's like, you know, I, I can see that in my dad. It's the, the love that was inside that body was like going through a really small channel to get out just had a hard time getting out and that's the way it got out but i recognize it as just complete love now we go into this business and everybody in our lives who are civilians shall we say who have their relationship with the movies and television mm -hmm. they are fans they watch what they watch they like what they like and don't like what they don't like. And right. so when somebody that they're intimate with, somebody they're very close to, goes into that business, and then we find out what the business is really like. Yeah. It's a job. Yeah. I mean, and there are sometimes moments of artistic elevation that you have and, and kind of a, a, a state you can get into, which is uh, lovely, but not mm -hmm. always uh, where we end up. And um, they don't get that. <laughs> they yeah, make, yeah. So then you go and do Blue Velvet, and then yeah. what's the response to that? I remember just, we, we had a screening in the Valley. You know how they used to do that? They used sure. to do, uh, and they wouldn't tell the audience, or they would say, hey, we're going to show, come come here, you're going to watch a show, you're going to fill out these cards, and, and then we're going to figure out what it's all about. So they were testing. 
basically. And they were some of the worst cards that they'd ever seen. Right. Right. <laughs> I hope a meteor hits this theater oh, and kills everyone. Oh, my gosh. It was awful. Right. Um, and so we were all just kind of like, oh, depressed. And then Pauline Kael wrote about it extensively and started this. I don't know if she initially started it, but it, that was one of the early, one of the early reviews that, that I think explained it to people in a way or pointed them in the right direction or helped them to get a sense of what the world that they were seeing was about. And that started the, the slow kind of movement of acceptance and the cultification yeah. of the movement. Yeah, very yeah. good. Yeah. When do you begin the first round of Twin Peaks? What year? So that was 89, 90. Now, listen, I'm just a kid from Massapequa. You know I mean? Right. I, when I was a kid, I watched, you know, like uh, uh, F Troop. Oh, and, that was uh, more, I loved F Troop. You know, when I was a kid, I loved Hogan's F Troop. Hogan's Heroes. Hogan's Heroes. I, Jones done movies. I would yeah. always watch every movie program on TV because there was no HBO then and there was no right. VHS and no, no, no nothing. When you go to do Twin Peaks, would you, would you say that the Lynchian experience kicks up another notch now in terms uh, of what you're yeah. shooting and how? Yeah, without question. First of all, the the... the role of Cooper, you know, was, I read it and I was like, this is, this is magnificent. This is pretty special. And, and, and you really, we're going to tell this story of Twin Peaks. You're really going to do this, David? I mean, it was one of those kind of like, because this isn't like any kind of TV I've ever seen before. Right. No, it is not. And so we all signed on, I think to the, to the person as signed on with, you know, and you obviously it's a five and a half year, six year commitment that you have to sign to. And we're all sort of laughing and giddy. We're saying like, like that'll ever happen. Right. You know, he's like, are you right. kidding me? Yeah. This is going to be a one, one and done. You know, this is going to be a back, we're back to our pilot, you know, so it'll be a completed finished unit, you know, and it'll be it. They're never gonna take. They're never gonna buy this. Cut to you know. They're like, and ABC sees it and goes, "Oh, we'd like to buy more." Now they, they made the decision that well, well after we'd finished, you know, and they started to screen it and they got excited about this, and so we said, "Okay." So we went and we filmed seven more episodes of, uh, but nothing had gone to air yet. So they only had the pilot that they thought was great, and then they had seven shows. And now they were going to put them on the air. So it wasn't the thing where you put one on the air and you kind of see how it does and you put the next one on the air and see it like it is now. We had, had banked all these episodes. Yeah, they committed. They did. They did. And you did how many seasons? We just did a year and a half, not even a half. It was like 32 hours. It was like what you would call now a limited series. Yeah. Yeah. They but, just binged but, out. But a not year intentionally. And a half. No, they made you know this was this was something that they wanted to run for a while, but but just went off the rails. You know, the in original. second season. Yeah. What was the health of his film career in '91 when you started doing that? Was he having any success? Oh, I, in I think film so. Or? Yeah, Lynch was. Yeah, I mean, he's always. I mean, it's always. Uh, I think he had. Uh, uh, so he did. He wasn't detouring into TV because he didn't couldn't make any films anymore. No, no. Right. I think he found it as a, as another medium to to right. let's experiment and see what. This could do, you know. Um, first, freak people out every week. Yeah, one of those. And and when does a filmmaker like that, an auteur like that, come to television? It was it was the first of its kind. So that was the fun thing about it. Now, when you're doing scenes, I mean, I watched the the uh, the. 2.0 that was on recently when you're sitting there and the character obviously was somebody who's going <laughs> you could do it better than I can no, no I can't I never, the, I never spoke backwards that's the whole thing that was a great thing about doing, but all that, that's the great thing <laughs> yeah. I'll sign to do the series yeah, so I don't have but. to speak backwards <laughs> but when you're shooting scenes with him like that yeah. is it readily available to you is it readily uh, uh, discernible to you what the intention of the scene you're a classically trained actor who's mm. done theater and films and mm. uh, and now you're doing this thing which is a little uh, not absurd but mm -hmm. very strange there's lynch sitting down with you saying okay now uh kyle <laughs> this uh, is 
is how it works. <laughs> this is what this scene is about, and this is where we're looping back on it. Or do you just no, have plain? No, it's easy no. to discern. It's. It, I don't say. It's, I wouldn't say it's easy to discern. I think that the uh, the reality within this scene, David and I, it, we, it's a lot of different things. So sometimes we'll find the, find it in the scene as we're doing it. Sometimes it's there. He always knows exactly what he wants and what he's doing. It's just up to, uh, it's up, he's got know, a he's map. Bring me along, you know. Right. But I learned early on. I used to do this in Dune. I used to go in and bother him hours. I would try to talk to him about this scene and what this meant and going here and doing it. And he would listen to me for about eight minutes and then he, I could just see that the blinders would come down and he'd be like, okay, that's it. So that, so I said, okay, okay. I, a little less in Blue Velvet. I asked him a little less. And then finally with Twin Peaks, I, I, I stopped asking him altogether to explain. I just said, all right, we'll find, you know, I know, I kind of know what I, what I got. He doesn't want to talk about it too much. Talk about it too much. No. We'll he, find it. Yeah. And he doesn't like to talk about his, the finished product. He said, you go watch it. You tell me what you think. You know, have that experience. You know, I know what it means to me, but he is loath to like. Do a lot of hand holding. Yeah. Yeah. He wants people to go on this journey. You know, as, as a, he's a true artist. You know, he wants people to experience this thing, you know. And so that's what we do. So that shows on for a year and a half. Yeah. And yeah. that becomes another cult. Yeah. Yeah. Masterpiece. Yeah. What does that do for you? So that uh, are you making development deals with ABC? No, and you're, you know what? I, I you just, just fucked every time they handed you with the keys. Yeah, no, I just to threw the, them away. To the car. I said, "Here, you take them." You em. dropped them down the drain. I did. I did. To be honest, oh, I did. Uh, seriously, I, I had this opportunity like that, and I and I just was like, "Great," but I, you know, I didn't know how to uh, generate. Did you want to, or that's not? Do you look back and wish you had, or are you more leaf look, in the wind? I look back and wish I had. I wish I'd been smarter, you know, um, and had. But then at the same time, I'm going like, you know what? I don't know how I would have done that. You know, I just wasn't built that way. Right, and that's uh, not your thing to be my uh, thing. Yeah, to produce yourself it, and to market yourself as a product. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, although. You know, and part of that is part of that is his. I don't know age. You know, you. I, I look back and and. Not that I know what everyone did, but, you know, my heroes were guys like Dean and Montgomery Clift and Brando and these guys. And and there was a real, re- in at least I believed, whether it was true or not, I believed, oh, the, you know, it was all about the craft and the art and finding and playing the character and doing that kind of thing. But never any thought towards, okay, this is a story that I really like, a character that I really like. And they were, they were out there. I just didn't know how to grasp them. Twin Peaks star Kyle MacLachlan. Like MacLachlan, Stacy Keach is probably best known for playing a mystery-solving detective. For Keach, it was Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer. But his incredibly varied career, from King Lear to The Simpsons, makes for great stories. Plus, he stars in this year's film noir Girlfriend's Day alongside, believe it or not, David Lynch. Keach's credits go back to 1964, What's it like for you now to work with younger actors? Do you find that the good ones operate the same way, or are they different? They're different. They're very different. In what way? Wow, you know, I mean, every moment is something different. The only thing that was consistent was inconsistency. Right. As a younger actor, I probably would have gone nuts. You relied on a pattern of some kind. Well, that's right. But I like like that. I like spontaneity. I like flexibility. But you've also learned how to handle it. Well, that's it. Our full conversation is at heresthething.org. After the break, more from Kyle McLaughlin. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Kyle McLaughlin's been on a few truly legendary sets, including Oliver Stone's The Doors, in which he plays Ray Manzarek, the band's keyboardist. 
oh my god, that was amazing. First of all, Val's performance in that was was, per- was incredible. Perfect. Just perfect. He was unbelievable. He was the guy. Everybody wanted that job. Mm-hmm. Everybody who was age-appropriate and physically appropriate and could even remotely play that character wanted to play Jim Morrison oh, yeah. with Oliver. I yeah. mean, I'm sure he auditioned 500 yeah. actors in this. The, the I wanted to play Jim Morrison. Look at me. Exactly. <laughs> I don't look anything like Jim Morrison. Well, I don't have any of that energy. Well, but you think to yourself, it's just, and, and then that movie, what was that experience like for you? I, you know, Oliver and I had a little bit of history with Platoon way back in the day where there was a some talk about me doing one of the roles there, and it didn't work out. Yeah. But Oliver, he's finicky. He's finicky. But he came back to me for 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 Ray Manzarek. Yeah, for Ray Manzarek, and I was kind of like, "Why did you?" Were you a Doors fan? I'm kind of. I you mean, worked. you know, I knew a did couple. Did you immerse yourself in their music? Yeah. Obviously, to yeah, play. Yeah, totally, totally. I, I learned because I, I grew up playing the piano, so I I took a little keyboard. There's one in the corner right there, like one of those, and I just learned all the songs. The trouble was, they and you kept, learned to play them. Yeah, I learned to play them, and they kept changing the songs. That was the problem. But I could play. We could almost perform as a band if we if, if Robbie Krieger because Frank Whaley was on the guitar if he had our guitars are Frank hard Whaley. Instrument. yeah remember Frank he Frank. knew a little bit but but we needed Krieger so when Robbie would play with us we could actually play a couple songs like the Doors it was that was if I put cool. that keyboard on could you play Blue Sunday for me right now. <laughs> Highly doubtful. It was highly doubtful. <laughs> I love that movie. Oh, it was, but, but, it, but it was an experience. It was. It how was long was that? Like, like, was, that I, was, it, was that seven months in the desert in Mexico? No, no. But it was as close Felt to close to that as I'd been. Yeah, <laughs> but it was an experience. It was a giant machine, you know. And I was a little. Cog. Was Bob Richardson the DP? Yeah, yeah. We were shooting in Candlestick Park. We were shooting um, five cameras. Bob was on five cameras. We were performing, and Joe Reedy. Do you know Joe Reedy? Of course I know okay. Joe. Joe Reedy's first, right? <laughs> <laughs> so Joe, who has a voice very similar to Lynch, he's got one of the big megaphones in a bullhorn, and he's like, and he makes an announcement. He says, um, to all the women in the audience, if you would like to earn an extra $100, you can take off your top during the next... So anyway, anyway. Right. And we're all kind of like, can he... Can he ask can that? He do that? No, he's yeah. got to do that. Well, Are you crazy? The, the SAG rule book? Yeah, it's yeah. impossible, you know. So, and the like, criminal code actually will yeah, do it just as not well. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Did anybody do it? Cut two. We look out. We've got, and suddenly there are like fifty women. Off they right. go, they and we're that. like, "What?" And they're on. They their, know the camera's going to cut to them now. Shoulders, of course they yeah. do. And we're all up on stage, and this is all happening, and the cameras are on us, and we're like, "We can't look, right?" Because Let we're me just saying, the current climate we're living in right now—that is disgusting. Kyle. It's terrible. That disgusts me <laughs> that, that that happened. <laughs> it's That's awful. so wrong. But, then, but back then, it was now, like. Do you, now do you for, refresh my memory? Yeah. You do you record their music or you lip sync? We you know play we, to, to play their back, tracks to play back. I mean, obviously, "Light My Fire" is his big solo. Yeah. Do you recreate that in the film? Or you yeah, play? yeah, we do. No, you had a big moment. Doing it that? was like it was one of the first days of filming. We were out of the beach. And we were shooting, and and we're trying to we're trying to find a song. We're trying to find a song. You know how do you play that as an actor? Oh, you're messing around. You know, and you kind of dee 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 dee. And Ray says, "Yeah, give me guys, give me a few minutes. I got to figure this out." So they trop on down to the beach, all the guys, and you hear over the track while they're on the beach. Dee 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 dee. You know, kind of a mistake. Two, three, and then finally he nails it. Okay, guys, come back in. I got it. You know, yeah. <laughs> two minutes later, he was like, "Okay, that's how we're going to play it." And that was it. What was he like, Ray? Yeah. Oh, he was. I met him twice. So um, he didn't hang out a lot. He didn't hang out. He and Oliver were not were not best of friends. 
Um, Those guys are never cool. The impression I got, I could be wrong, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but Mm. the impression I got is those guys are never cool with representations of, you know, and kind of of, uh, uh, grave robbing uh, uh, Morrison and representations of their work. They're very, very proprietary. I think Ray felt like he was, you know, he's the keeper of the myth. And here was Oliver coming in and trying to make it his own and change and change it, you know, and Ray had a very specific idea about what it was and what it meant. What was his idea? Well, I think, you know, he, Jim was to him the greatest thing ever. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 he, and he was, you know, I mean, Morrison was making amazing. Jim, making Jim less damaged, maybe? Yeah, he, he, was, he, he was a god. You know, the conversations I had with Ray while we were filming versus, um, I found that the, the best source information was actually going back to the interviews and just watching the behavior and the physicality and how they said and spoke and talked to each other. And that, to me, was the better indicator of what was really happening with the band, as opposed to listening to Ray. Ray told me some great stuff and great stories, but it was all through the lens of time. And what about Robbie? I didn't speak to Robbie. I don't know. I'm don't... only asking because the film is so voluptuous and oh, so wonderful. But a cool. lot of people have said, you know, it's like it's not really remotely. What it... v- v- Val is stunning. I mean, I put Val in a category with like uh, um, Ray Liotta. You know, yeah. Here's two guys that they should have won the Oscar. Yeah, you know, Ray Liotta oh. should have won the Oscar. And Val for wasn't even nominated. And Val should have won the Oscar. He for, wasn't even nominated for the Doors. No, he should. I think they're two guys who. I'm not saying this in any harsh way, but they're almost two guys who like they never recovered from that. Like they can't yeah. believe they didn't get their due. Yeah. That that was. You know. That that kind of role that's the full expression of everything Val was as a performer. That yeah. was it. He just put it all out there. He did. And he didn't get what he deserved. Yeah. yeah. And that's always very, very kind of, not crippling, but it's very demoralizing. Yeah, you've got to be able to come through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, now, my other favorite, you, you even when you, uh, I'm saying this out of love for you, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of yours, <laughs> I love and this. even when you do the movie, and the, the movie's nutty and fucked right, up, right. I love Showgirls. Oh, thanks. You, know, what was for, you worked with a lot of, Lynch, <laughs> Oliver, Verhoeven. Verhoeven, yeah. What no, was that, that like? Well, that, was the, that was the decision. It was like, geez, you've got Paul Verhoeven. I'm a huge fan of Verhoeven. I mean, I loved RoboCop. Yep. Come Ooh. on. I mean, that is just something Ooh. that's just magic. Epic. Basic Instinct had just come out. I was like, that's powerful as well. I'd like the stuff from before. It's Soldier of Orange. It's better. and stuff he done before. I was like, this is an amazing director. Very this is director. his vision. You know, he's going to take Vegas and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be dark and it's going to be visceral and he's going to really expose this whole world, you know. Esther House wrote the script. Esther House at the time was was the guy. I mean, he's huge. So you're like, are you looking at this and you're going, okay, and I get to play a character that's slightly deviant. He's tough. He's got a dark side to that point i hadn't had a chance to do much of that you know as a, as a young actor you're looking to try to find a way to to expand your potentiality i guess to people that are ha- that are casting and i was like this is a this is a no-brainer this is going to be great i like the scenes it was very good i got into it you know worked hard came up with a kind of a weird look sheep you know like one of those uh, like a wolf in in sheep's clothing kind of Why? thing i just wanted that's my feel for the guy. Yeah. That's what I wanted him to be like. You thought he was manipulating people. Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely. So I was like, okay, I've got to play all this, i got to explore this. You know, and, and then there was some, you know, some nudity stuff that we had to sort of work out, which was, I was fine. You know, I was like, that's okay. You, um, you didn't mind that? I didn't you mind. Never he, that. he wanted, he wanted... <laughs> <laughs> he wanted you to shoot a porn film. He was like, oh, we, we, he was like thinking a European. I was like, well, no, he's European. He said, no, we do, no, we do full frontal. We do full frontal. And, and, yeah, and I was like, ah, I'm not yeah. so sure. And he yeah. was like, what? You, you don't think you can maintain erection? Oh, no worries. We did digital. We put it digital. Yeah. Don't worry. He thought that my complaint was the fact that, oh, I wouldn't be able to maintain. Yeah. And, and, you know, so, yeah. and I said, uh, and I said, no, no. And, and then he said, digital. I said, he said, oh, so you can 
do any size you want. Yeah. And, and he said, and I said, I, I was like, oh. So. Why don't you make me look like a yak? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But he wasn't a perv. He just wanted no, authenticity. No, no. He, he just wanted everything real. Just do, just do what the, be what, do yeah. what the characters do. Yeah. And then we were like. Mm-hmm. How long did that take yeah. to shoot? That was a good, you know, that was pretty traditional. Three months, four months of work in was L.A. Was he kind and tender with Elizabeth? She hadn't made a lot of films, had no, she? No, she hadn't. He was pretty kind and tender. I mean, there was a lot that went on in that on that movie. I mean, there were a lot of stories that happened. And I, She's a sweet girl. She's lovely. You know something? Elizabeth's I remember, I remember her getting yep. you know, mauled when that movie came out, and people said a lot of yeah. mean-spirited yeah. things. And yeah. I've met her many times, and I absolutely adore her. She's yeah. like one of the most adorable women. She's yeah. such a lovely person. She is lovely. She's a sweetheart. Yeah. And that was a tough thing for her to go through, yeah. something that I don't think she ever may have recovered from. Um, it was difficult. I mean, yeah. the filming process was actually f- phenomenal because we were working in South Lake Tahoe. There was a full stage, and these were all, they were doing the choreography and everything. Like, it was a full-blown show. So you'd come in and you watch the show during, you know, and you'd perform and stuff. And then when I wasn't working, which is a lot of time, it was one of the best snows that they'd had in South Lake Tahoe. So I had my skis in my trailer, and I would just get in my car. I'd swing by, because they don't want just skiing, obviously, and i just load them in my car. Yeah. Oh, I'm just going to go get uh, yeah, a cup of coffee. Uh, yeah, back in a little bit. And I would go ski. i go ski. And it was <laughs> just spectacular. So I'm reading about you, and you meet your wife. Yeah. You'd obviously dated a couple of uh, very well-known women in yep. your life. We yep. all do that. Yep. We all, we all. You know, we're the quarterback of the football team. We're like, where's the head cheerleader? Let's get her over here. <laughs> right and now. we're going to date her. And, right. uh, um, and then... Um, you can relate. I know. And I can relate. And then you, you marry your wife where you met. She was in the PR business when you met her. Yeah. She had been working at Rogers & Cowan. She had just left to form her own company called Full Picture. Her name, uh, her name is Desiree Gruber. I met her at a chiropractor's office. I was in with um, Blake Edwards. He and I shared a room of traction therapy. You're kidding me. No. It was Blake you mean and I. Blake Edwards me and Blake Edwards just sort of hanging out. What hey, happened? Hey, Blake, how's it going? I ruptured a couple of discs in my back and in Skiing? No, I was working out. Stupid, right. stupid stuff. Right. Anyway, um, and I was in trying to do distraction therapy to sort of release the pressure. And so I was in a room, and Blake was over there in, in his chair, and I was in my chair. And uh, so I got to know him a little, which is kind of cool. Blake. Yeah, he's a good guy. A bit. And uh, Desiree walked past the door. So there's a you know, I was sitting in the room, looked out. She, this tall, gorgeous woman, walked past, and I was like, "Who is that?" You know, immediately, Ring. and the antenna went out. And uh, I said, "Oh, I kind of find out what's going on." She'll be in there for a little while. Well, like five minutes later, she walked back out again. I was like, "This is not good," because I was stuck in this traction. So I got out of my traction, went up to meet her at the front desk, started struck up a conversation. But I was too, it felt too weird, and I felt too shy to like get any kind of contact number. So I just kind of just didn't. Nothing gelled, and I was like, "Oh God, okay." So she went on her way, and I was like, "Oh, maybe I can figure out who she is or where she's from." I don't know. Two nights later, she walked into the Tina Brown party for Talk Magazine at um, the Mondrian. She walked in. I was like, "Hello," and so we stuck up a conversation, and uh, and it's got numbers and everything like that. At that time, I I was felt you know. You're ready to I go. Said, I was like, ready I, to move. I've already met you once. Now I can ask you. This is a role I could play. Yes, this is exactly right. There is, your boyfriend. There is some truth to that. Look at, I can do this. I, and, I uh, seem like your boyfriend, don't yeah. I? 
for me, when I look at your career and I see you, especially when you do, I mean, I'm not making any jokes about Showgirls because I think there's a lot of good in that movie. Right. And for you, what I see is you become more of the sexualized leading man, where before that, the more prominent characters you played were more chaste and more pure and heroic. Right. And the libido and the sexuality and the perversions, if you will, are around you and behind you and underneath you and everybody else. But when you do Showgirls and then you do other shows like Sex and the City and things like that, you become much more of a right. classic leading man other than the heroic leading man and some of the mm-hmm. other pieces. Did you feel that way? I mean, I agree with you about the naivete. I think it was what served me well in Blue Velvet in particular. And that you look at him and you go, here's a pretty chaste young man that gets drawn into something and is attracted to something that is absolutely completely dark and goes through that journey and barely makes it out alive, you know, singed around the edges. And I think the journey, you know, with, let's say, Sex and the City, with uh, Desperate Housewives, is, you know, in an environment with a character that is... Um, you know, he's sort of unusual. There's, there's what you see on the surface seems to be normal and fine, and everything's good. But underneath that, there are some other urges that are lurking. You know, and did you what, like both those shows? What exactly they are, we don't know. I did. I enjoyed him very much. I, um, Sex in the City was, you know, it's it's um, it's a little frightening. You're on uncertain ground because. You know, with a film, they hand you the material. You know, A to Z, what you're going to be doing. It's all up front. Yeah, it's right there. When you walk into a show like that, um, and Sex and the City was one of those. You know, I don't. How long did you do that? Two years. I was meant to come on for just a couple episodes. Two full seasons. Yeah, two full seasons. So right in the middle. And you don't know. They hand you a script one week, and then the next week they hand you another script, and suddenly you're doing some crazy thing, you know, with an animal. Who knows? You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, and you just like, ah, uh, it keeps you on your toes, on edge, you know, and you're, and that uncertainty is there. And occasionally I'd have to say, ah, just not comfortable doing this. I'm sorry, Mark. You know, it's like it's just a little too... I don't know. The thing about TV that people don't realize is that the guy that's going to be the head writer in season five or six is just entering Harvard now. You know, yeah. He's like he's just starting his college education. He's like he's like eighteen. Yeah. You know, like who knows who's going to show up? Uh, you know, it's a long journey. It's yeah. a long road to run with TV. Yeah. And why didn't you have your own show? Meaning, was it you? Did you not want that? Did you not want? I don't want to book a no, show for like were, six years. No, there were. You wanted freedom. I'd done pilots. Or you would have done it. Oh, I'd done pilots. Yeah, I did a pilot with Andy McDowell, and I thought this is great. You know, Mike Newell, director. You know, you sort of look at the stuff and you're like, he did the one with you and Andy. Yeah. What was the pilot? Yeah, it was called Joe. And it was about it was about her, but <laughs> it was I was about an axe murderer. <laughs> axe murderer. Yeah. No, <laughs> it, was a, it was about the ghost of an axe murderer. It would have been would have been better. Um, and the wife talks backwards. Yeah, exactly. It was you and Andy. She's Joe. Yeah. And was it like a family drama? It was like a family thing. She was a veterinarian. She had her mom. I was the boyfriend. It was kind of come back into her life, and you know, so it was this group. So, um, I mean, it wasn't built around me. It was built around her. But it seemed like it would work and make sense, you know, especially with that kind of pedigree. Um, but you just never know. You just never know. And there were others that I tried and things that, you know, had like a, sh- a short shelf life, you know what I mean? And that just never materialized. So not without trying and not without like taking a shot at some good stuff, you know? So when the Lynch 2.0 comes your way, mm. was it something you guys had always discussed for a long time? It was in your pocket for a while? No. Or did also need to just pop up and go, hey, yeah, a little Kyle. bit. Not, not without my also over the years sort of, because we're friends and we live close to each other in L.A. I've got a house out there and, and we see each other frequently and we love to sit and talk and reminisce a little bit and talk about what's coming up. And I would always say, hey, do you ever think about going back to Twin Peaks and revisiting that? And he would always say, no, I don't, I don't, nothing really going on, you know. And so there are no ideas, no thoughts to go back at all. 
uh, he'd also had a difficult time, you know, the television experience, I think, ultimately with David, it just was not something that he wanted to go back into, um, which I understand. It's about having control, and that wasn't happening. Um, somehow he and Mark found a common ground, a common story, uh, a way to go back that, that interested them, and they started working on it. And shortly thereafter, David came to me and said, I need to talk to you about something, but he didn't want to talk to me about it over the phone. I said, okay. So we met in New York, and he said, we're going to go back to Twin Peaks. Are you on board? And I said, David, I've always wanted to go back to Twin Peaks. You know that, you know. So he, I gave him my handshake and uh, said, let's go, you know. And so, you gave him that Washington State handshake. I did. And was, that's all bond. we needed. That's it. It's the bond, you know. And so off he went, and he and Mark were writing, and I knew what was coming up, but I couldn't say anything until it was Mark. finally announced. Mark Frost. Right. I want the audience to hear his yes, name. Yes, good. Thank you. Because um, he, he and David co-wrote, um, co-wrote that entire thing. So... You start shooting that when? We started in, oh, see, dates. I think we met like in 2012, and I think we started filming in 2014, 15. Where? Uh, started in Seattle, six weeks in Seattle, roughly, and then the remainder in Los Angeles. On stage? The, uh, yeah, mostly locations, to be honest. Really? We, we were out, yeah, out in the, kind of the desert environment area, and then the last three or four weeks we were on stage. Was um, it familiar to you when you came back to that? Not really, because we didn't get back to the character of Cooper until our 16. And so up to that point, I was two other characters. Yeah, and I saw. One little tiny one. And got to work with, I mean, I'm working with Naomi Watts, who is just adorable and fantastic. Very and talented. so much fun. So talented. So talented. Like every fiber of her being. Tiny. She's tiny. She's tiny. That's David. Perfectly cast. So enjoyed working with her. She had the lion's share of the language, you know, because I, the character I played at that point, Dougie, is is almost mute apart from a couple of words Love here those and there. parts. Oh, my God. Did the best, yeah. right? Yeah. Come to work every morning. Yeah. I got one word in between two paragraphs. <laughs> okay, Naomi, go. Like Boo Radley. Yeah. You say nothing. <laughs> say nothing. You stand there and you note. Know, yeah, yeah. And people like, you know, they get behind that. So um, that was um, unexpected. And... I didn't know when David said that they're going back. He said, there's going to be some other things that you're going to have to do. You know, there's other, you know, and I was like, I didn't grasp what it was until I sat and read this 500 plus page script, <laughs> you know, at one sitting with a couple of cups of coffee. No. Oh, yeah. They said, like I couldn't, book. I could not leave the. It's like Citizen Kane. Production. You can find yourself to pages 39 yeah. through 45. Yeah, that was it. But it was there, and I read it, and I couldn't believe what, what, what I was being asked to do. It was like, Someone had given me the greatest gift in the world. Really? Oh, yeah. It was like, look at these characters. It was there. Yeah. Not just one. Not just one great yeah. character. There was a second. There was a th- three great characters. This is acting. I said, this, I said, is going to test me. And I got scared. You know, you get nervous, and then you, you're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And so you just go on that journey. And I had David. If it were another director, who knows if I would have felt comfortable to, to relax and, and allow him to, like, watch and tell me and steer. You know what I mean? And that... That was what made the difference. See, what I love about your career is that you can play people who are these very tender and very sincere and kind of, you know, naifish characters in your mm. early career. And then who's the darker character in the 2.0? Mr. C. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, he's awful. Oh, my God. He's just awful. And, and you inhabit that character. You yeah. really, really, you are, you, you are the guy that could be like... Andy McDowell's boyfriend, and you know, there's a, you're bringing a basket full of puppies over to her house, <laughs> exactly. and then you're just this nightmare. Yeah, and and no fun to play. But then once you're in there, you're like, the feeling of power, I get it, is like, 
I am a god in a weird way. That's what I felt when I walked through that. I mean, true, he's from another dimension, all right, but you're giving yourself that, and you're like, wow. It's not something you want to abuse or carry around or let exist other than when the camera's rolling from start, you know, cut, from you know, action to cut, because it's just too... It's the ring in the hobbit. It's like you just you don't want to put that on, you know, because not unless you really have to. I did the Scottish play at the Public Theater back in 1998, mm-hmm. and, and we had a funny cast because we had a lot of future stars. And I remember I would kill Zach Braff. He played Fleance, and I'd stab him. I put my boot on his shoulder, and I peeled him off my sword. Yeah. And then I would turn to the people in the front row who were like maybe five feet away, and I'd be yeah. like, are you next? <laughs> Any one of you, any of you, you want a piece yeah. of this? Like yeah. I would literally like try to bring the audience into like, I'm going to kill you now. Yeah. You want to fuck with me? Yeah. And the second act of, of Scottish play, you just went, went crazy. You, know, yeah. you really like lost your mind. Yeah. So when Jeffrey Nordling would kill me in the end, I was like, I'd lay there and we had a rain effect and rain would be coming down and my body was half in the gate of the castle and half outside. Uh-huh. So my body's inside and my head is just outside and rain is coming down. And I look up at Jeffrey, who's going to kill me. And I look up and whisper in the scene. I go, I want you to really kill me because I can't do this fucking show another time. I'm tired. <laughs> I was so tired of sword fighting, killing, and the hatred and the malice yeah. and, the, and the anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Macbeth yeah. going crazy. Oh, yeah. And I would sit down and look up at Jordan and I go, shove that sword at me, please. Chop my head off. I can't do this. Fu- I can't do yeah. that. But um, oh my God. Well, that's last... interesting you say that because I think you were right in keeping with that character what's happening in his mind at the same time. I think he's probably at that point. He's got a death wish. He's, exactly. Maybe. He can't stop it. He said, you have to stop it for me, I think. So, so I think someone stopped me. I think you were, yeah, you were right, in the, right in the wheelhouse. Two other questions. Yeah. So you have a winery. Are you, yeah. you make wine. Yeah. Where? Yeah. I make wine in, in Eastern, Washington? Eastern Washington, yeah. I grew up in Yakima. It's Eastern Washington. I watched the, the wine world develop there. Sure. And the quality every year gets better and better and, and improves. And I wanted, to be honest, I really wanted... I'm interested in wine. I wanted to go back and explore that. I, I'd like to. I wanted to learn more about wine, and that was one of the ways I could do it. And I wanted an excuse to go back and see my dad, who was alive at the time, more. And I said, if "Did he I, work with you?" We would go together. We went down to the winery together. We tasted together. He participated with it. Yeah, he loved it. So you owned it. I partnered with uh, an existing winery that already had all the infrastructure. There's right. so much infrastructure in the winery. It costs so much money. So I sourced the fruit. Uh, I found the barrels that I wanted to use, new French oak barrels, and I you have your own label. Uh, What's it called? Yeah, it's called Pursued by Bear. Pursued by Bear? <laughs> and where did that come from, if I may ask? <laughs> the Winner's Tale. It's oh, right from The Winner's Tale. Exit Pursued by a Bear. It's, one of, it's my favorite stage, stage direction, direction of all times. Oh, my God. I love it. I love it. You've been doing it for how long? I started in 2005, was the first vintage. For a while. We're um, right now, and currently, I'm a little behind, not behind, I just, I aged for a while. It's uh, the 2013. I've got my old e-commerce site now. Do you want to expand that and do more of that? Uh, maybe, you know. You it's get rich those... like Coppola. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I think he makes, I mean, yeah. he, obviously, he makes more money doing the wine than, than by film. far. Yeah. But um, but maybe. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, right now, it's just something else, you know what I mean, that's different from the business that takes you kind of away into a different place and something I can share with friends. And my wife gets a kick out of it, you know, and I get to go home and see my brothers now. And, and do you know what you're doing next? Yeah. Uh, not, no, no. Reading, yeah. reading some things. Um, there's some kind of cool things, you know, out there. Um, I don't know. I love this one line that you were quoted saying, not working makes me nervous. I do enjoy my time off, to be honest. Yeah, oh yeah. I've learned. I said, you know what? Something will come. And it's up to me to keep 
plugging away and talking to my agents, my managers, and let's find the best thing that we can find. Yeah. But in the meantime, I'm having a great time with my son. Yeah. You know, I'm doing my gardening in Los Angeles. Know, you know, it's like that. And I love that kind of stuff. Kyle McLaughlin, David Lynch's go-to leading man. I'm Alec Baldwin. Here's The Thing Comes from WNYC Studios. WNYC Studios.